Today's guest is a teacher, actor, writer, speaker, DJ, and celebrity impersonator. He has a unique way of connecting with students and reaching them at a level that inspires them to be the best version of themselves they can be. This educational thought leader is a former assistant principal, a playwright, and an expert in school culture and climate. He is known for his quick wit, creative thought, and humorous personality. He was recognized as the Wyoming Theater Director of the Year for 2018, is the current District Teacher of the Year for his school district, and this past summer was recognized by the Jostens Company as their National Educator of the Year. He speaks to students, staff, and communities throughout the country about how to think differently about schools, education, and life. Please join me in welcoming to the Adventures with Grammy podcast, our guest, Bradley W. Skinner. Thanks so much for having me. I love the energy that you bring to the classroom. I was looking through your website and saw the different programs that you you talk about, like the Shelter Buddies. That was such a fun, uh, it's, it's been wonderful and uh, so unexpected. Well, one, it was obviously the, the intent was to help students read. Uh, that's first and foremost, even at the high school level, so often we get, I get students in my own classroom that just, uh, for lack of a better word, they just don't like reading in front of their peers. It, they're intimidated. They're afraid of making mistakes. And, you know, obviously as educators, we're trying to say, hey, it's okay if you mispronounce a word that's part of the learning process. It's not a, it's not a big deal, but I think that kids still fear being laughed at, being ridiculed, being mocked by their peers. So just open reading is still intimidating for some. So we see that that stems from younger ages. So if we can help eliminate that stigma and give kids more opportunities to read in a very low stakes environment, then let's do it. So we reached out to the, the local animal shelter and we said, hey, can we, can we make this a thing and allow students of all ages to come in and when you need that time to, you know, let them work with the animals and just, you know, let, let the animals have some playtime. Can we come and read to the cats and the dogs that you have in your shelter? And uh, the reading was great because, I mean, you know, kids love, you know, ha having a little puppy sit on their lap while they read them a, a children's story. Uh, how wonderful of an opportunity that ended up being. And it helped kids. It promoted literacy. It was helping them with their fluency. Uh, and, and it was such a low stakes environment and it was just fun that it was really helping support and fostering that reading should be just that reading can and should be fun. The shelter buddies is, is a program that you instituted with your local animal shelter. Was that hard yeah. to set up? No, that's, I, I was really worried that at first we might have a little bit of pushback or even just some questioning from it, but our local animal shelter they were on top of it in, in the next day. As soon as we presented it to them, they were like, this is fantastic. We would love to. Because then what we did is uh, we allowed, because uh, his parents started coming in and, you know, like, oh, is our kids going to be doing this? Well, let's take a, a let's take a picture uh, with them and this dog. And then they would put it on social media. And then all of a sudden it was people going, hey, this is a cool program, but uh, tell me about that dog. Is that animal <laughs> available for adoption? And soon the, they actually had to take a pause in, um, 
in the program because we, we were able to help out because we were promoting on social media. We were talking about the animals. We would share their names, uh, how long they've been in the shelter, um, how to get in touch with the shelter so they could come and adopt these animals. And we, they ended up being able to find homes for uh, nearly all of the animals that they had at that time. And then we're waiting to bring uh, some more in from other uh, shelters that had some overflow. So we actually were able to help place and find homes uh, for numerous, numerous animals. And several of the students that went and read there with that program, they ended up adopting animals that they spent time with. Um, several parents, you know, they're like, hey, thank you for doing this. We love our new dog. Um, as our daughter just spent, you know, these last you know couple of weeks reading, we just, we couldn't, you know, we, they developed this bond. And so we decided to take that dog home. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That is really awesome. I know you do a lot of speaking to teacher groups and how, how did that come about? Well, a lot of it, uh, really, it wasn't something that I ever planned on. I mean, I, growing up, I always, you know, obviously the acting and the performing, I also, you know, competed in speech and debate. So speaking was something that I did, but it was always because I was speaking on either someone else's topic. I was speaking on, or I was performing as another character. I never really thought that me individually as a person would have uh, something that people would want to hear. And uh, a lot of that, I mean, it, it could be uh, lack of self-confidence. It could be uh, humility. Um, but really, it's just I never I never saw myself in that that role. Uh, I love talking to students. I love teaching. That's what I do. And so when I simply then was able to look at it as a change of audience that I would still be teaching. It was still opportunities to educate. Uh, it was just going to be a different audience that instead of students, I could uh, help instruct and educate other educators. That That's when I saw that some of my life experiences did have uh, some value because there are probably other teachers that have been through similar things that I have. And I could help give some insight. I could help keep good teachers in the career field. And that was one of the biggest emphasis. And a lot of what I speak about uh, does just that, that we know that we're dealing with a teacher shortage. We know that colleges and universities around the country, around the world are having fewer students going into the educational field. We're having more turnovers. We're having more educators retiring early. We're having more educators that are leaving the field in their first five years than we've ever had before. And so knowing that, I really wanted to make sure that I could talk to more educators to help school leaders create the right school culture and environment that was going to keep educators in the field and in their buildings doing what we need most, which is teaching kids. And you've been successful with that. I like your program about gamification. It's not using devices, but it's using device and game techniques and philosophy to help teachers empower their students to do the best they can. Absolutely. And, and it should be fun. Businesses have been gamifying their structures for you know, far longer than education has. It just took us a little bit longer to see how well it would work. Uh, we look at how many times uh, the, you know, people will buy, uh, they'll shop at a certain grocery store because they know they get fuel points that they can save money on gas. That's a gamification strategy that businesses have been using for a long time. Take things that people are normally going to do, add incentives to it to allow them and to reward them for doing those things, 
and then create uh, a continued cycle that allows them to benefit from it. Uh, education can be the same way. If we want students, if we want to, to build uh, that a behavior for them to turn work in early, what's the motivation? What's the incentive for it? And I know it doesn't always have to be, you know, we don't always have to give rewards or treats or anything, but it's still recognizing that students are doing valuable things. Sometimes it's all that, that, that simple little recognition can make a big difference in a student's life. Sometimes, sometimes they don't get that recognition anywhere else other than your classroom. Sometimes a, a high five on a Friday might be the only positive physical connection that a student has their entire week with an adult. So when we really just take you know, some of these things for granted, if we really look at how beneficial it can be to our students and their future successes, then why not just take that little extra step and make small changes into our classroom that can make a big difference in a student's life? That is so true. Would you give our listeners an example of how that's used in the classroom because they may not be familiar with the term and what you're actually talking about? Absolutely. Uh, so in, in its essence, uh, gamification in the classroom is simply taking uh, strategies that are often used in board games, video games, uh, any type of gaming situation, and we just apply it to what we're doing within the educational realm. Uh, so, uh, for example, if we look at, you know, let's take uh, World of Warcraft for an example, um, you know, uh, uh, role-playing games of that nature that every time that you have, say, a side quest, you're expected to accomplish certain tasks. And then each time you accomplish that task, you're rewarded for it. And that reward can be from anything of, you know, uh, gold pieces, or uh, you're getting new armament or uh, clothes, whatever it might be in the game, uh, but you're being rewarded for doing the very thing you're expected to do. So we just take that same philosophy and put it into a classroom. If I expect students to be on time, well, what am I, how am I, how am I fostering that positively to say, hey, here's what's going to happen when you arrive on time every day. Uh, and it might be in the form of, you know, you show up on time, you're earning certain points that allow you to do things within the classroom, you know, show up on time five days in a row. And then on the, the sixth day, you get out 30 seconds early, you know, uh, simple things like that, that just simply are showing the importance of doing the very things that you're expected to do, but yet I'm putting a value on it, not just saying, here's where you're going to do it simply because I said so, or the, because I'm the teacher, this is why you'll do it. But it just allows the kids to say, Hey, I'm going to do this because I know I'm going to be benefiting from it. And they may not see it right away, but soon those skills, because we want to be fostering positive behaviors, positive actions, they start to learn that those skills are actually things that are going to be benefiting them in the workplace, in the, whatever career that they choose. They develop those habits of turning work in on time or even early, of turning in quality work, um, of being where they're supposed to be when they need to be there. All these positive behaviors that are going to be, whether they never take a class from me again, will hopefully benefit the next class they take. It will benefit them in their career that they choose. And it's just taking simple steps to positively facilitate skills that are going to make their lives more successful. That's a great incentive. And doing it in a fun way. Right. It's a great incentive. Your background is in theater and you teach theater and 
English courses now. I, as I had said earlier, I love the theater. I was involved in it when my children were little through college. I helped build costumes and help build sets. And my older two children were honor thespians when they were in high school. So theater holds a very special place in my heart. And the other thing that holds a special place in my heart are children with special needs because I taught high school students and was involved with special education for most of my career. I love how you make sure that you include children with special needs in your theater productions. Can you tell our listeners about that? Oh, absolutely. And I think first and foremost, because uh, I, I preface this by making sure that, you know, that your listeners understand what it is and what it isn't. Uh, I think it's very easy for any theater uh, director to say, hey, we're going to bring in some special needs students. They're going to be in our production. Um, and we're going to, this, is, this isn't a token uh, performance. This isn't something that we're doing just to say, hey, look what we're doing. We're not going to have you know, students just standing on the side in their own little group. Uh, I mean, that's, that's certainly not what it ever should be uh, because then you're doing it for the visual aspect of it. And that's not what it should ever be, in my opinion. We bring our special needs students. We work with a special education uh, program within our school. It's an opportunity for students to come into uh, our theater classroom and to be on stage in our productions because it's helping students with communication skills. It's helping them build teamwork skills. Uh, It's helping them with their social uh, needs as well as uh, communication and those skills we're working on in theater, you know, that's just, that's a common practice. We work on all of those every single day in rehearsal. And so these students are, uh, they're memorizing lines, they're working uh, on choreography, and it's not going to be perfect. And that's okay, because that's not the goal. The goal when we do this isn't to have a perfect, flawless production. It's to help students be better people. So if my my students that are normally taking leads in a show, if they can take a moment and say, hey, I can, I can help other kids within our school. I'm going to learn their names. They're now part of my cast. I'm going to talk to them when I see them in the hallway. I'm going to tell other people that this is my, my cast member and we're in the show together. Come and see us on stage. That's building relationships within our school. That's improving the culture and climate of our program, which is building the culture and climate of our entire school. It's allowing students to understand the importance of, uh, of representation, of, uh, of, of equity, of, of inclusivity. They're learning so much more than just theater. And it's mutually beneficial for all of my students, for the special needs students, for everybody involved. It's allowing the special ed teachers to come in and they're getting to see what we do in theater and they're seeing the benefit of it, of how it's helping their students. It's, it's just been an absolutely wonderful and magical experience. And even though I say our goal isn't for our shows to be perfect, every time our shows still turn out pretty darn amazing. And I think our kids are all better for it because they've learned a lot more than just acting, singing, and dancing. They've learned to be better people. I couldn't agree with you more. I just am just, I have such a positive feeling and attitude toward 
the arts in general. And I always cringe when I hear politicians talking about cutting funding for the arts program and with schools sometimes arts are not looked at as important but I think they're very important and I would love for you to talk about what it does for all of the students in addition to the students with special needs why is it important to have an arts program in schools well, uh, one of the interesting things I was actually just uh, sharing with my students last hour, as a matter of fact, we were listening to uh, the late Sir Ken Robinson, and he was talking about the raft full of evidence that in research that supports that students do better in all of their standardized testing in their mathematics courses, their language courses, when they balance that with having some form of art class. And when we say art, I'm, I'm including all of the arts, whether you're in a 3D class, a pottery, um, a, a drawing course, theater, music, band, even woodshop and um, automotive classes and welding. If you have classes like that at your school, those are still art, in my opinion, because you can't do I mean, you see some of the work that students are able to produce in a welding class or a, or a carpentry class. It's incredibly artistic. So it's the fact that you're allowing students to express creativity. And I, this is something that I've, uh, uh, with a lot of pushback in the past, you know, when I started my career, I really believed in, in, in pushing towards the importance that art and displaying creativity is just as important as mathematics and literacy. And that was not met well back in <laughs> early 2000s by a lot of uh you know, educational leaders. Uh, they, you know, I, I really, I, I, I really believe that. And I still believe it today that if we can find ways to allow students, especially when it comes to uh, the social emotional needs of students, they need to express creativity. They need to be able to do so in a positive way. And that has to be accompanied with the ability to make mistakes. That's the thing I love about art is it's okay to make mistakes in art. If you're in a pottery class and you're, you're making a, a bowl or a vase and it just falls apart, it's okay because you're learning from that experience. And now you know what not to do so you can make it a little bit better the next time. If you're on stage and you forget your lines, well, now you've learned what was it that I messed up on. Now I can make that better. Your performance on, in a concert or you know, uh, in the band, you're constantly learning and improving from mistakes. But we get so often, we skip that creativity part of it, and we just want to look at the end product. And when we do that, we're robbing ourselves from the learning experience. We're minimizing creativity. And the more that we cut those art programs, the more that we, uh, yes, we got to focus on the core classes. I get that. But we also need to focus on art because it makes our students better. Well, it offers that, a balance. It helps to remove that stigma. Yeah, it gives us balance. And, and that's so important in the world. You have to, everything is about balance, balancing your time, balancing your relationships. You know, you've got to make sure that you're doing things right at the right time, the right way. And, and there's so much value in that from art courses. It's obvious that you are a true champion of students and most of our listeners are grandparents. And I did a survey and I asked listeners what they 
want it to hear, the type of guests that they wanted me to bring on. And overwhelmingly, they said about education, how can grandparents help their grandchildren be successful in school? So I'm posing the question to you, how can grandparents champion education and help students really grasp and embrace learning and own it and realize that this is an important part of their journey through life? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I'll answer that by uh, in, in twofold. First, I'm going to say uh, a mindset that needs to, to be established. And then second is then what the focus should be. So we understand that right now, our world is moving so quickly and there's so many advances and changes uh, through technology, through, through the world, through everything that's going on. Odds are, if you have a, a grandchild that's in high school right now, by the time that they are 30 years old, 50% of those kids very well may be working in a career or a job that doesn't exist today while they're learning these skills in high school. It's just, it's amazing that there are so many new jobs and new fields, things that just didn't exist when we were in school that are now part of our daily routines and expectations. I mean, just think about the world before Facebook. You know, we're, we're teaching kids today that that world didn't exist. They've only known the world with Facebook and social media and other changes like professional video game players is now a thing that just didn't exist a short time ago. So the mindset that we need to have is understanding that we are trying to prepare uh, our youth today to be successful in careers that don't even exist. The reason then for that and how we can make that possible is rather than focusing on on the career, we need to focus on skills. So the more that we can focus on the skills that we want and supporting those skills, then our, the, the youth are going to be successful in whatever career that they choose, whether it's one that's been around for thousands of years or one that doesn't even exist yet. So skills, when I say that, so I'm meaning, can they, can they be successful in communication? Can they be successful in their writing? Can they be successful in speaking to other individuals? How well can they work as a team? Um, you don't have to like everybody you work with, but you got to be able to communicate and do so in a positive way to get the job done. As we look at specific skills that are always going to be of value in whatever career that they take on, those are skills that parents, grandparents can always be facilitating and that can be helping with. And if we look at it from that lens that, hey, I'm not helping you with this skill because I want you to do this job. I'm helping you with this skill so you can do any job. I think we're going to find more success. I agree. It, it, it can be fearful, but at the same time, it can also be incredibly exciting. Do you have specific examples that you could help grandparents know what to do? Give them some idea of how they can do this? If we look at some of the you know, like the top skills are soft, often it's referred to as soft skills. I think that's kind of becoming a more antiquated phrase. Um, but it was, what we used to, you know, always say is soft skills in the career uh, field. But now I think it's more really their necessary skills. So let's just take one of the first ones, for example. We know communication. We've said that before. Here we are communicating. So we know communication is important. But then how do they do that? I look at my grandfather, but I look at some of the things that he was able to help teach me as I, as I was growing up being that 
that supportive individual. Even though I was always on stage, I started performing from a very young age. Uh, I, I think I had my first lead role in a play. Uh, I was in third grade. So I was able to have and exude confidence on stage, even though I lacked it personally as an individual in my regular day life. If I had somebody else giving me the words, if I had someone else writing a character and helping me create it, then uh, that was somebody else. That was whoever I was on stage. And off the stage, I was incredibly shy. I was uh, growing up, I was very introverted and I didn't have confidence, but that was a skill that my grandfather really helped uh, instill with me was having confidence. And, and that was simply from simple tasks like, okay, I'm going to be the one that at the counter at the grocery store, I'm going to be the one that speaks to the, the individual, the clerk at the register. I'm going to be handing them the money. I will have the dialogue uh, as we talk about you know, the, the small tasks of the day. And I'm going to be the one that puts my hand out to take the change back. Um, and he would step away from that and say, I'm giving you this opportunity, not because you're learning how to count money, not because you uh, need to know how to do small talk. It's to help you with that confidence that you can do things that may be uncomfortable for you. Another one was empathy. That's another great communication skill uh, was learning empathy for others. It's hard to communicate with someone if you don't really care about them. So finding ways to care about people, to listen to them to understand what their situations are in life. And that though it may be different from yours, you can still try to understand and look at their world through that lens and say, even though I may not have the same experiences as you, I'm going to try to understand what it would be like for you. So that way I can uh, try to relate in a small fashion to allow me to communicate better with you based on your experiences as compared to mine. Friendliness, active listening, Goodness, uh, what else? Constructive feedback. So those are all just various things within the world of communication that that my grandfather helped foster with me because he knew those would be skills that would make me more valuable as a as a, a person in any career field, as well as just being a better member of society. And it was effective, and it was never driven at a certain career. He just knew it would make me better in whatever it was that I chose to do with my life. Just good old fashioned life skills. Exactly. Grandparents are, are good at doing that. Part of what the listeners were asking me is some of them are concerned about the new math or new ways of doing tasks in school. And sometimes they may not feel confident that they know how to teach their grandchildren. I certainly with the pandemic, that's been an interesting dynamic because parents are working. And so a lot of grandparents have been the ones to sit beside the grandchildren for their day-to-day Zoom education. So I think there's some anxiety about that. And that can be. And if we look again, take it, take it away. Like you, you mentioned new math. And, and I think if, again, if we look at the bigger picture, uh, new math is just simply a tool. What it's really doing is it's teaching kids to be able to solve problems. And that is a great skill that I think our older generation, a lot of the grandparents that may be assisting this are very adept in. They are problem solvers. They've been solving problems for a lot longer than, you know, these, the, the, than their grandkids have for certain. And so if we look at it through that lens again, that that's what we're doing. We're teaching the skills of problem solving. New math is just simply a tool that helps in that process for mathematics. So don't worry so much about, well, I, I don't know how to do the new math. 
No, but you know how to problem solve. And now as you get the handle on how to do that new math and see how it's helping students to solve problems, it makes it a lot easier. I also think critical thinking is an important skill we need to help our young people learn. Absolutely. And I think for, for me as an educator, uh, that's one of the things I've always stood by is it is far more important for me to teach students how to think rather than what to think, because that's not my job, but teaching kids how to think, to allow them that opportunity for critical thinking, to look at the world in a way that's different than just their own neighborhood, but seeing it in a more global aspect and allow them to really start thinking far more than just what they've been handed to them or given within the realms of their school or even just within the walls of their own home. But let's start looking at things in a, in a much broader sense and really learn how to think. One of the things that I used to do in my English class was to bring in advertisements and encourage the students to really think critically about what the messages are and how to analyze to find out, is this something that really is good for them that they should go out and buy or do, or is it just salesmanship and they need to, to really think about, is this good for me or should I just walk on by? And that was always an interesting <laughs> lesson. Oh, I imagine so. That's fantastic. I'm gonna have to borrow that one from you. Oh, feel free. <laughs> it really <laughs> is fun to, to talk about critical thinking and really looking at, at advertisement and what those messages are and, and the strategies that marketers and advertisers do to convince us to behave a certain way. Yeah, I, absolutely. I also want to talk uh, briefly about something else that I read on your website, and that was that 160,000 students a year skip school because they're bullied. And you go on to talk about Rachel's legacy and the school mm -hmm. safety awareness program. Can you elaborate on that for us, please? Absolutely. Uh, so kind of a twofold there. Obviously, the first part is bullying is still an, is still an issue, and it's not one that's really going away. Um, knowing that, obviously, then we want to be able to focus again, as we talked about skills, I'm going to keep developing that, is there's ways that we can help our students uh, with the skills of how to handle their own uh, well-being, their own social emotional learning, uh, their own mental health, uh, but also then how to get help when bullying becomes something that you simply can't handle on your own. You, you've got to be able to reach out. You've got to be able to talk to your school leaders, your teachers, uh, consult with adults. So those things have to happen. Uh, and, and, and you have to, obviously, before any of that happens, you've got to be creating an environment in your school where students are okay in being able to come to their school leaders or their teachers to talk about those issues. And even more important than that, if you're really building the school culture and climate in the way that it should be, then ideally you're creating one where students don't feel that they have a need to bully other individuals within their own school. And that I know that's easier said than done, but it's possible at least to minimize the, the ramifications and the effects of of bullying, because we are, we're, students are skipping school, students are, uh, are avoiding classes. And of course, we're still having students that are, uh, that are dying from suicide because of, of bullying around our nation. And, and it's, it's, it's terrible. It is, 
it, it's an awful thing to see that anybody go through. Um, and then when we tie that into uh, elements, that, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, uh, Rachel, and that's a, was one of the students who, uh, who passed away from the events at Columbine and which really brought forth school safety into the mindset of educators and school leaders uh, around our nation and making sure that we, one, are keeping students safe. Students learn better in an environment where they know and they feel they're safe. So that's obviously an important thing for all schools. But again, it's, it's, it's also so much more about preventative maintenance within our schools. Kids that like schools don't tend to bully others. Kids that enjoy school don't look and seek violence within a school. And and that starts from, from the top down, having the right leadership that focuses and cares about all these things that we've been discussing today, having educators that are creating within their classrooms that culture and climate that supports love, respect, empathy, positivity, communications, those things that are going to help build bonds within our students and students that connect with fellow students tend not to bully each other or seek violence uh, in any fashion. Again, I, I, I understand how hard that is to do and how difficult that is, uh, especially because there's so much that we are limited when it comes to education and the fact that there's so many contributing factors, home life, dietary needs for students, the lack of food for students, the lack of, uh, of, of parents in the home. Uh, there's so many contributing factors that can lead to bullying taking place because students don't have that positive uh, outreach that they, they're seeking for control in some way. And sometimes that control of their lives comes in the form of, uh, of physical violence or bullying towards other people because it is the one thing that they can control. And, it, and I, it's, it, it's devastating, it's tragic, but it is still part of the world that we currently live in. It is so very true and so incredibly sad. And you talked a bit about students not liking to read aloud. In the high school where I taught, it wasn't uncommon to have at least 20 or 30 percent of the students reading at well below grade level. It just always broke my heart to see these students struggle. And when you, when you learned about their home life, it's just like, oh my God, you just wonder how they even make it to school to begin with. Right. And I'm just so glad that they are there because then we can, we can start the process of, of fixing some things, of helping healing those that are broken and, or, or not, I don't say broken because no one's broken. Sometimes they're just hurt and they're just looking for a way. Uh, sometimes it is a cry for help. That can't happen if they're not there. One of the things that I like to do with every interview is to ask the guest for words of wisdom. And in this case, what I would like for you to help our listeners know is how can they become more involved in school, even if their students or their grandchildren are excelling in school, the kids still benefit from that family involvement. So if a grandparent is feeling as if, oh, my school, my child's school doesn't need me, what are ways that grandparents can help and, and be involved and make a difference in a school? Uh, first, I, my first recommendation is, again, we're, I've been reiterating this over and over again as we talk about skills. Uh, what is a skill that you have that you can offer that's going to benefit that school? Uh, 
in, and I'll, I'll just start with theater. So my theater program, I've been so blessed to be able to have uh, some of our, you know, grandparents to say, Hey, I'm, I've, I'm good with, with my hands and, and carpentry. So can I come in and help you build some of your set pieces? Um, other, I had, uh, um, we have some, some amazing uh, grandmothers that have come in and dedicated and spent some of their time in helping sew costumes. Uh, what that, that's a skill that I, I can manage, but I'm not very good at it. So having others with that skill to say, Hey, I can give some of my time to help improve the quality of the look of what your students are going to have on stage, because now they're in better costumes. That's incredibly valuable for our program, but that's just on a high school level. If we look at being able to volunteer and help with, you know, maybe it's a, a, a PTA or a parent teacher organization at an elementary school, maybe it is uh, coming in and uh, volunteering to help read uh, to some of the younger students in elementary. There's so many things that, that are out there and really you never know what it is until you ask, but looking at what are those specific skills that you have that you would be willing to not only to share, but possibly to teach. Um, I've been able to have students that now have improved uh, their carpentry skills and their sewing skills because they've then spent time and allowed our, uh, these grandparents to be able to teach them during our after school programs. Uh, say, Hey, you know, um, that was really cool. How did you do that stitch or how did you, how'd you build, uh, you know, how'd you use that miter saw that way to, to, to cut these boards? Can you teach me? And that's been incredibly valuable. So there's always something out there. Uh, so please don't ever, uh, you know, uh, look at your own worth and, you know, Oh, I don't have anything to offer because you, you do, you have so much to offer, uh, but you just never know sometimes what it is uh, uh, until you ask and find out. Well, thank you. If our listeners wanted to reach out to you, what would be the best way to contact you? Uh, easily. at uh, So again, my name is Bradley W. Skinner. So that's B-R-A-D-L-E-E, uh, named after my father, Lee. So they spell it with the two E's. So Bradley W. Skinner, you can find me at BradleyWSkinner.com on all social media platforms at Bradley W. Skinner. Um, just even just put in a Google search and just search for Bradley W. Skinner, and I'm sure you'll find me and you can get in touch. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode of the Adventures with Grammy podcast. You will find the links to our guests and the topics we discussed in this episode's show notes. If you would like to be a guest or if you know someone who would be an awesome guest, please connect with me at carolyn at adventureswithgrammy.com.